0: Welcome. Uh, I'm really glad you're here this morning. If you've been around for a long time, great. And if you're new, great. Uh, You're just joining us for the first time. Wonderful. Uh, My name is Steve Cunningham. I get to be the lead pastor here. Uh, My family and I have been around these parts for about a year and a half. So we're still uh, roughly new, still finding, you know, finding things through our our phone, GPS and all those kind of things. But we love it here. We get to serve with a lot of wonderful people. uh, And we feel like God is is doing some amazing things through uh, so many great people. People who are uh, continually giving their life to, to God daily, and, and we love that. Uh, we have been going through a series now. Uh, this is the fourth, uh, the fourth week that we've been going through this series we called Remodeled, uh, and we're looking at deconstruction, doubt, and Jesus, uh, and that's because uh, early on we talked about this deconstruction process uh, and really admitted that, that deconstruction is a normal process for all of us. Uh, that, that in some ways, we all go through some kind of faith deconstruction, uh, and that's, that's normal. Uh, and so we wanted to put that out there and kind of take away maybe some fear that people had about talking about that, uh, but just wanted to open up and share from a really healthy place because we believe it's important. We, we want to help each other go through the process as healthily as possible. In the first uh, week, we really talked about just the idea of deconstruction and what it means and what it looks like and, and really how important as you're building, uh, we, we got these huge uh, Jenga pieces, and those of you familiar with the game, you know that the idea is to find the weak spot, Let's see if I can find one here, I may not have grown this tall enough today, I don't know, I need to work on this, we don't have one today, maybe. Possibly. Nope. Nope. I got to build it one more higher. There it is. (laughs) Fail. Uh, That you look for a weak spot and then you take that weak spot out and you build on top and the the idea is growth. Same thing with deconstruction. If your ultimate goal is just to tear everything down, you'll be left in spiritual homelessness and that doesn't feel good. Uh, But ultimately, if your deconstruction process is to be healthier and to grow, uh, then that's what we want to walk through together. And so, we talked about on week two the idea that a lot of people wind up deconstructing pieces of their faith because of suffering and injustice. They see suffering and injustice in their life or in the world, and then they begin to question, okay, what where is God in all of this? If if we're walking through this and we're experiencing this, then either God is not good or God is not able to take care of this. And so how do we look at that? We walk through those. And then last week we talked about deconstruction in our faith uh, because of spiritual leaders that we found. We kind of put a brick of our faith in these spiritual leaders, these spiritual giants, and then we discovered along the way that maybe they weren't as good as what we thought they were, and that really rattled our faith, and it caused everything else to come tumbling down, and so we looked at a healthier way to look at spiritual leaders in our lives, understanding that this side of heaven, nobody's going to get it right. And so maybe the problem in building in the first place was that we put a little too much weight into humans, right? Uh, And while Jesus holds uh, Christian leaders responsible and, and he calls them to a higher standard that we have to have human expectations of spiritual leaders, and today, we're going to talk about another topic that I think might be one of the, maybe one of the largest reasons why people deconstruct their faith. Uh, but before we do that, I, I want you to repeat after me four words. I think, you can, I think you can remember four words, okay? So the four words are, Steve loves the Bible. Okay? So here we go. Ready? Steve loves the Bible. Because after this is over today, some of you might think, I'm not sure Steve loves the Bible. And I just want you to say, right? Now you've admitted it. All right? Steve loves the Bible. And here's why I say that. After today, some of you, some of the things that you've stood on for quite a while was a brick, maybe shifted just a bit. Okay? Okay? And that's okay. That's part of the deconstruction process. For others of you... This brick was so unsturdy for so long, you've been wrestling with how to reframe or rebuild something and maybe today will give you a little bit of hope that you can actually rebuild on something that happened in the Bible that maybe you gave up on a long time ago. And that's why I wanted to talk about this particular subject today today. A lot of us, if you grew up, how many of you grew up in church? Your family went to church? Uh, that was my case. In fact, I grew up on what we called the joy bus. Did you did you ever ride the joy bus? For my family, I don't know if it was so much joy. My dad drove the bus. My mom helped out on the bus. We got on the bus at like 5.30 a.m. We drove all around, picked up all these, you know, snot-nosed, booger-eating kids, you know. I mean... Uh, I'm just telling you like it is. And then we and we got them to church. We did the church thing, and then we got them all, and we took them all back home. By the time we took them home, guess what it was time for? And go back to church again, right? So when you're four, five, six years old, and that's your Sunday, right? It's not as joyful as what the joy bus uh, tends to talk about. But on the joy bus, I remember learning a song that stuck with me, and it probably stuck with you as well. And it goes like this, Jesus loves me, this I know. Oh, they taught you that song too. Good. And for a lot of us, that was wonderful. Until later on, the Bible tells me so didn't seem like enough. Because the Bible told you things that you questioned and you weren't sure about. And you had more questions than you did answers for. And if the only reason Jesus loves you for sure that you know is because the Bible tells you so and the Bible becomes in question, then all of a sudden all of the other bricks stacked on top seem like they don't fit anymore. See, if the Bible is the foundation of our faith, it seems all or nothing. If the Bible goes, then so goes our faith. And this is paramount. This is huge. Again, some of you are saying, oh, I see where he was meaning when it sounds like he doesn't love the Bible. But I want to be honest and I want to talk about some of the things that cause our faith to get off in the building Process. The first one is this as you grew in your faith and your understanding. Uh, that, that maybe one of the issues you came to with the Bible was that you asked a question and you received defensiveness. You didn't get answers. You didn't get, you know, we'll look into that. You got somebody who said, you know, we don't, we don't ask those kind of questions or that's how that's just done here. Or, you know, how about we'll talk about that later and all of a sudden something got shut down, never been there before. For some of you... You asked fact questions, and you got faith answers, right? You started asking questions that seemed a little more scientific, and you wanted some scientific answers brought back to you, but what you got was, well, you just have to believe. Well, if you just have a little bit more faith, in that, you know, then, then that's what's going to help settle this, and that didn't settle it for you. For some of you, you were taught skewed things about other Christians and their practices. I love this because I was thoroughly convinced at a pretty young age that uh, pretty pretty much every other denomination didn't read their Bible or study anything. And then I got older and I, I, I had conversations with people who were outside of the faith group that I grew up in and all of a sudden I realized that they knew way more about the Bible than I did. They started asking me questions about things that I had no answers to, and it made me question my understanding of the Bible. For others of you, you were taught an incomplete or inaccurate view of the Bible based on an incomplete or inaccurate view of the text. This was huge. Because as you grew up, you realize, well, wait a minute, that's not exactly how that's supposed to be taken. Or I wonder, if really, if that's, that, that's true at all. And I wonder if, if that's not true, then maybe other things aren't true as well. You were taught things about maybe women's roles or various other components that as you grew up and you understood the text in a different light, all of a sudden, things didn't make sense anymore. And I think there's reasons for this that, that I, don't, I, I, I uh, wish I had a lot more time on this particular subject because there's so much to say. But there's two terms that I wanted to make you familiar with today. One of those is exegesis. You may have heard of that before. But exegesis is is really the explanation or the interpretation of a text. That's really what it is. You're explaining away or you're interpreting a specific text. And you may think that sounds fairly easy, but I want you to uh, think about this process for just a moment. If you're driving, how many of you can drive? Some of you are new drivers, you're learning to drive, others you've been at it for a little while, all right? Uh, and you come to an intersection and there are red signs all the way around on each corner, right? And those red signs tell you one word, one word, and that word is, right, but some of you don't do that, uh, I've seen you. No. <laughs> For some of you, that just means go a little slower, crawl through, right? Uh, but let me ask you this question. That one word, stop, could be interpreted many different ways. And some of you think, okay, please. There's How many ways can you interpret stop? Well, do you stop at the sign, before the sign? If so, before the sign, how much further before the sign. And in fact, you've gotten frustrated with other people who have stopped way too far past that stop sign or way too much in front of that stop sign saying, what are you doing? Because even when it comes to one word, it can be interpreted different ways. And this is the issue with exegesis. See, an exegesis is an explanation or interpretation of a text but it's also important to know that our exegesis of a text, our understanding of it, has to do with the hermeneutic. A hermeneutic of a text is the tool or the lens that you use to get an interpretation. So likely your interpretation of what stop means probably came from whoever was teaching you. Right? You were sitting in the car with a paranoid parent who was like, whoa, stop, 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 stop. What? you got to stop before the sign. And that was so deeply imprinted in your mind that now, as you go to stop, right, it's before the sign. Everybody knows it's before the sign. And some of you, you grew up with parents like, hey, listen, just slow down a little bit. If nobody's coming, it's all right. Those parents are dangerous. No, I'm kidding. Uh, You see, the hermeneutic is the tool or lens you use to get interpretation. Think about it this way. If I hold this to you like so, and I ask you to describe it for me, well, you might say that it's, I don't know, roughly a little over a foot long. I don't know if it looks cylinder from your vantage point or not. And you could use something like that in many different ways. I don't know all the ways you could come up with it, but in your mind you're coming up with those ways. But if I held it this way to you, and then I ask you to describe it, you would have a different angle and a different perception of it. In fact, this way seems solid, but this way clearly is not. This way seems like it has... It's kind of one layer, but this way you can see multiple layers. And it's made up of very different things. And I want to ask you the question of which way is the right way to interpret this? See, this is the hermeneutical approach to how to describe what this is. And when we come to the text... Sometimes we've been taught the issue that we have is that a text can look like this. And all of a sudden in our life, we understand it in a very different way. And our whole world, our whole foundation begins to shift because we no longer see it the way we saw it before. In fact, maybe the last point and issue in the biblical text is this, that what you understood about the Bible as a child did not hold up against the text, against it as an adult. It seemed really simple, right? The Bible said it, that settles it. (laughs) The Bible says it, that settles it. Until you got to a point where it didn't settle it anymore. It seemed iffy. It seemed questionable. It seemed like it didn't make sense to you. And therefore, everything kind of came tumbling down. And if that's true of you, then I have good news for you today. And if that's not true of you, I have news for you today that's still good. And here is the truth. The truth is that Christianity does not exist because of the Bible. Christianity does not exist because of the Bible. Andy Stanley says it this way, the Christianity does not exist because of the Bible any more than you exist because of your birth certificate. Think about it that way. Your birth certificate indicates things about you, and it's helpful, right? If you want to get a job, that's good. You're going to need some kind of proof. If you want to get other income, that's that's, you're going to need a birth certificate, but you don't exist because of your birth certificate any more than Christianity does not exist because of the Bible. But before I make that point a little bit clearer, I want to show you why that's true. Uh, and so today, I really want to just take a history lesson with you. How many of you love history? History. For those 10 of us, you're going to love this. For the rest of you, <laughs> you're like, oh, Lord, why did I come today? Uh, but this is so valuable and so important, and parts of the pieces of our faith don't match up because we don't know the history of it. And that's why it's so vitally important to us. So let's take a timeline approach to some things. We, we believe that, that Jesus... Uh, died roughly 30 A.D. Sometime in that time frame, and some of you say, "I thought it was 33 A.D." He lived 30 years. There, there's some, there's some wiggle room, some play room. But roughly, if uh, most theologians would agree that we time sometime around 30 A.D. And we know the area in which he lived. And we know that, that uh, throughout the course of the, the Jewish nation, they built a first temple. Do you remember that? There was a destruction of the first temple. And they wound up rebuilding the temple. But that temple, too, was destroyed. And it was destroyed through a process of about four years. So uh, roughly around uh, uh, 64, 66 uh, uh, A.D., I said BC before, didn't I? No, okay, good. Sometimes after I start talking, then I think back about what I said, and I'm like, "Was that? Wasn't I an idiot? You know, I don't know. I don't. Hopefully not. Hopefully I said it right. Roughly around 70 uh, AD, uh, what happened was the destruction of the Second Jewish Temple. Now this was huge. Because it had been going on for about, like I said, four years. And for four years, there was this, there was this kind of battle between the, the Jews who were, were uh, resurging and trying to, to gain a, a more authority over this Roman oppression. And the Romans who were kind of battling back. And finally, it all came to a head uh, in August of 70 A.D., uh, when Titus and, and the Roman soldiers and the Roman authorities came in and they wound up absolutely completely demolishing the Jewish temple, uh, they wound up uh, throwing uh, all the Jews out of the capital of Jerusalem and uh, completely uh, uh, making almost uh, tens of thousands, some historians say almost hundreds of thousands of Jews slaves. There were so many slaves at the time that it actually brought down the slave price. This was huge. This is a huge thing. And why this is so huge is because there's no mention of it in the New Testament scriptures. No mention. Uh, Which is weird because throughout the New Testament scriptures, we read about certain things, right, that are not just biblical things, that are not just theology things, but we read about things that are happening at the time. And what's also interesting about this is that throughout that time process, throughout the, throughout the process of this writing, uh, we don't read anything that's happening. And why that's so interesting is, is because we should. I want you to think about it this way. If somebody came in and completely dominated the United States and wiped us all out and took so many of us as slaves, then, then there would be some writings about it. But there aren't any. And the reason why there aren't any is because most theologians would agree that the writing of the New Testament happened before that process. Which means that the writings of the New Testament didn't happen long, long after, right? There were eyewitness accounts of a risen Jesus. And this is important. And why this is also important is because uh, we don't, typically understand because the invention of the printing press, which happened uh, right before 1500s, we we can go out today and we can hit print on any kind of copier and have multiple copies. It's pretty easy for us to do. Not so true at that time. Having a copy of of a book, a collection of papers could cost in our currency anywhere from about $1,000 to $2,000 estimated. So it was pricey and there was a lot of things that went into that because not everybody could afford even uh, t- to be able to-, to learn to write. And so this was a time-staking, a painstaking process. What's interesting about this is that uh, as we look at the New Testament uh, and-, and the writings that came out of that, the, the New Testament is compiled of many different books. And about, we have a, roughly about 2,600 copies of those. 2,600 copies, which you may think, well, that doesn't sound a whole lot, like a whole lot. But of all ancient texts, I want you to put this into, into kind of a comparison. To all ancient texts, how many of you heard of a guy named Plato, right? Of all of the, the copies of his uh, original text, there are only seven that, have, that have, uh, we found that have been copied. Seven. How many of you heard of a guy named Aristotle? Of all of Aristotle's, only 49 of his texts have been recovered. So the texts that we have are so much more abundantly popular than anything else. And this throughout the whole timeline, and again, I know some of you are like, man, I didn't come for a history class, but it's so important to understand this this principle because it's such a vital part of our faith from about 70 AD on for 100 a couple 100 years the life of a christian was hard it wasn't legal it was often persecuted and many times people died for their faith at the time that jesus died on the cross And he was buried. There were zero Christians. Zero. In fact, the Bible says that everybody deserted him. And nobody, even those who came back to the tomb, expected him to be living. And yet, by the time of Constantine, if you remember that name, in uh, 312 AD, he becomes uh, the, the ruler of the area. And during that time... Just one year later, he winds up granting approval for uh, some, some people kind of concentrate just on this, that, that he grants Christian freedom and religion that people can worship without any kind of uh, fear, and that's wonderful. But also, not just that, but all other religions as well, but just a few short years later, 10 years to be exact, that Christian, uh, Christianity becomes the official religion of Rome. I want you to think about this. In in a few short years, right, this, this group of people that was hated and tortured and killed winds up becoming the official religion of a group of people who ultimately ostracized them and killed them. Now, why do I go through all of this? Why, why does that make any difference at all? Why so boring, Steve? You're usually a lot more entertaining than this. What is the point? The point of this is, is that through the largest growth of Christianity, through the largest time of persecution and death and in suffering, Christianity grows the most. And it grows the most Without what you and I have in referring to as the Bible. This is huge because for most of us, what we understand the foundation of our faith, the foundation of Christianity is the Bible, simply is not how most early Christians would have described that at all. Now, they were encouraged by the text, they shared the text. They wrote it down and they saw it as important, but it was not the foundation of their faith. See, the first complete Old Testament and New Testament together didn't even happen until 350 A.D., almost over 300 years after the death of Jesus, the label Bible or holy scriptures, something that they saw as a sacred text, didn't happen until 388 AD. And even at that time, many people, most people, the majority of people never were able to have one or read one on their own. In fact, we, we wouldn't even have that till well after the printing press. See, most people in the spread of Christianity couldn't say, listen, the Bible is the foundation of, of their faith or the Bible is the foundation of, of their Christianity. It just wasn't the way that it happened. See, the the first and the second and the third century Christians believed that Jesus loved them before the Bible told them so. And this is huge. And why was it this way? How did it come to be? Well, it was because of eyewitnesses. It was because of eyewitness accounts That they would say, listen, it's not a story I'm telling you. It's not a hermeneutical lens that you have to look through, and you have to see it my way or this way or that way to make it work. I don't know how you interpret the Old Testament. I'm not telling you how to how to take this uh, this particular psalm and either look at it literally or historically or in any kind of other way. I'm just telling you that I saw Jesus crucified, and then I saw him raised. And I don't know the rest of the story. I just know that story. And that's the one that I'm going to hang all of my life upon. See, the first 300 years, Christianity centered on an event, not a book. And this is huge for us. Because I think so much of Christianity has shifted from an event to a book. And it's great to be a biblical scholar. Listen, I spent nine and a half years doing that very thing. I still owe tons of money to the colleges that I went to for that very thing. Remember, Steve loves the Bible. That's right. And I love to study it. But folks, I'm telling you, this is a brick that you and I were sold that when we get it wrong and out of place, can topple our faith. Because Christianity isn't centered on or founded by a text, it's founded on an event that happened that was recorded by people who were eyewitnesses and who shared their faith like crazy, not because of an interpretation of something. It was because of something that they actually saw. I love this. This is so powerful. If you have your Bible, you've been wondering, are we ever going to get to that today? And we are. If you have your Bible, open up to John chapter twenty. Verse 29, and I'm going to tell you what's happening right before this uh, so we can lead right up into it. Uh, Jesus appears to his disciples, and as he does so, uh, he finds that some doubt, right? They They didn't even believe that he was going to rise from the dead. And so he appears to them, and one of them in particular is Thomas, and he says, Listen, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, that sounds wonderful, but I'm not gonna believe it unless I put my finger in, in the nail holes, unless I unless I can touch his side, then I can't believe it. So Jesus shows up and he says, Hey Thomas, listen, give me, come, come here, come here, come here. Touch and see. Touch and see. And so Thomas does, and he says, All right, all right, listen, before you were rabbi, before I thought you were king, but now you are Lord and God. And John records it this way. Verse 29, John chapter 20. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's you and I. And then people who compiled the Bible and helped it to, to make it easier for us to understand. Some of you, your, your Bible say this, there's a heading right there and it says the purpose of John's gospel. They're, they're, they're laying it out clearer for you and I. And it says this as he closes out. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This was the crux for John. Why am I going through all these things? What's the whole point behind all of this? That you would believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Yeah, 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 but, but what's the role of things in the worship service? I mean, how, many, how long are we supposed to meet? And what's the view of how we take communion or don't take communion? I mean, what are those things? I mean, he said, no, 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 that's not my point. You're, you're wanting to kind of get in and spell all this stuff out. You want, the, you want the right hermeneutical lens to take so then you can exegete, so you can get the right interpretation. No, 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 no. I'm centered on an event of a risen Jesus so that you can believe and center your faith on that. Paul writes, 1 Corinthians if you have your Bible, you can scroll on over there. If you're using the U Version Bible app, you go to events. We have everything right there for you. But if, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he writes to the church in Corinth, and I love this. This is what he says, starting in verse one. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I've preached to you, on which you received, uh, sorry, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. What's that? What do I want, What do I need to stand on? What's the secure thing? This is what he's about to tell you. By this gospel, you're saved. And if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you believed in vain or otherwise it's unstable. Otherwise it's not secure. And this is what he says. For what I receive, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he's raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then after that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. What's Paul's point? What's the gospel? Is this thing where we have to like figure out, okay, how do, you, how do you interpret this text? Tell me the right biblical way. I mean, is it, is it some kind of symbolism? Do I take this literally? I mean, what, what, what about predestination or post-destination? What, what, what do we make of all these things? And Paul said, no, 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 no. no. My faith doesn't center on that. My faith isn't on this group of texts. Oh, is it helpful? Absolutely. Is it important? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. Does it tell us about God and who we are in Him? Oh, for sure. But it's not the foundation of Christianity. And when we make it so, we're in jeopardy of losing everything. And for some of you, that's where it was. See, some of you, you began to question some things and it seemed unsteady. There were parts of the Bible that seemed unsteady. There was answers that seemed unsteady. And you thought you couldn't be a Christian because some things seemed unsteady. But I want to let you know that the foundation of Christianity was never rooted in a Bible to begin with. It was rooted in the event of Jesus Christ, his birth, his death. And his resurrection, and I want to conclude with this thought, because if I haven't driven the the point home enough, then maybe this will do it. That when the foundation of our faith is a biblical interpretation or interpretive lens, we will spend more time defending that position than we will our Savior. And see, I'm tired of that in our churches. Haven't you been there before where we spend so much time trying to defend the right way to look at a text? And listen, it's important to study your Bible. It's important to know what it says. It's important to try to draw out meaning. But when that is the foundation of our faith, we'll often lay everything else down to support that. And we often lose sight of the foundation, the true foundation of our faith, which is Jesus So if you've walked away from your faith because of a way that somebody told you about the Bible, some things that happen in the Bible, some things that you can't explain in the Bible, some ways that the Bible doesn't make sense to you, then I want to say this. That's okay. That's okay. It's not the foundation of my faith. Oh, it's helpful. Oh, man, is it helpful. And oh, man, do I turn to it often. But the foundation of my faith is deeper than that. It's more unshakable than that. It doesn't turn to a kind of hermeneutic that would be twisted and rolled in many different ways. The foundation of my faith is in this divine son of God, Jesus, who came and lived and died and rose again so that you and I can have hope and life not just now but forever so may the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault Tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you and transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to the only God, our Savior, who is unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless and merciful, who is supreme and sufficient, who is before all things through all things and in all things, both now and forever, amen.